welcome to the Republic of Middle-Aged Men. As usual, you have your three hosts. You have myself, Tim. Hello. Uh, you have Lachlan. G'day. And Ruben. Hello. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've recorded, um, mainly because of my health. <laughs> I've had influenza and some other issues going on. I'm still not 100%, so hopefully my voice holds up uh, for this episode. Uh, it's good to be back. Um how are you guys feeling? Are you excited to be back? Absolutely, man. We're uh, we're nearly nearly getting to the end of this bad boy, so uh, we'll, we'll see how we get on tonight, though. But um, I'm excited for sort of getting getting to the end. Not that it's um, you know something you want to hurry up and finish, but you know, it's still, it's it's good to complete something, right? Yeah, a sense yeah, I'm pumped. Yeah, I miss our little uh, Sunday night chats for sure. All right. Well, um, for those listening, what we're doing is uh, working our way through the uh, Enchiridion. And uh, this week, we're up to section 44 on the Kindle edition. Um, So I'll read this out, and then we will discuss. So let's go. Uh, It is illogical to reason thus. I am richer than you, therefore I am superior to you. I am more eloquent than you, therefore... I am superior to you. It is more logical to reason. I am richer than you, therefore my property is superior to yours. I am more eloquent than you, therefore my speech is superior to yours. You are something more than property or speech. That takes a different angle to where you think it will go when mm. you first re- start reading that. What, 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 do you, what do you guys think? Yeah, it kind of sounds like he's basically given a generic "don't be prideful" type uh, type thing. But then, uh, yeah, that last sentence is not really talking about pride per se, but uh, saying that uh, you know you you aren't what you do. Yeah, that's you're right. It, it is that is what he's or saying. What, um, do you think it's also that he doesn't want to have like a false modesty? So he's saying, if this is true, like if if your um, you know wealth is more or your property is more, you don't want to say it isn't because that's not true. But yeah. it doesn't mean that you're a better person for it. It just means that it's got more value. So was he just saying that it uh, it, it just sort of that is what it is, but that's not relevant to the, your character that that's kind of what he's saying or. I think so. Well, it goes back to his whole, you know, don't put your self-worth or your, uh, you know, don't base your happiness in things that you can't control. Like the whole, you know, I mean, if, if you conflate your property with your superiority, what happens when a flood comes or you go bankrupt or whatever, you know, it would just tank your entire person persona kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, I guess he is still sort of doing, maybe not the, the prideful thing though as well, but it's just, um, you know, stuff is stuff. So let's not get hung up well, about I- that. Yeah, I suspect he is warning against pride, but I just don't. Pride, uh, what pride means to us now, is very different from probably what it meant back then. Mm. Um, you know, pride has a lot of connotations and history to it, and um, it means a, lot, a very different thing now than probably what it did back then. Yeah, no, you're right. What's it? Uh, is it pride comes before the fall? Isn't that what the uh... <laughs> what the saying was yeah that's right oh, yeah, that's right can, can i ask both of you did either of you start reading this in spock's voice <laughs> no uh just because it, it, it is illogical <laughs> it's just as soon as i read those three words i just started hearing spock saying this rather than myself <laughs> yeah i sort of kind of hate star trek whoa hate it yeah, well, maybe not hate it. No, strongly dislike hate. Whatever, potato, potato. <laughs> wow, what do you? Why do you dislike Star Trek? 
Wait, hold on, hold on. We're, we're talking about trying to knock over a good number of these scenes today. <laughs> we can start talking about <laughs> no, I need time to see in this. Like, <laughs> this is important. <laughs> right, I'll give you the elevator pitch for why I hate Star Trek. Um, Star Trek for me represents uh, pretty much everything that I dislike. I hate uh, centralized control. I hate globalism. I <laughs> hate um, I hate scientism, and like to me, Star Trek is basically just all of that stuff wrapped up into a into a narrative. Wow! <laughs> I it's like the whole, the whole Starfleet command is like we're we're a unified uh, you know we're a unified government, and we're going to rule the galaxy, and we're going to go out and be benevolent and make better for everyone else to me i'm just like piss off <laughs> they've moved to a roots where they're all working for the common good uh yeah that's right i hate that too <laughs> <laughs> wow so what you're saying is they're actually space communists yeah they're space commies man <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's gonna explode. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say to this. That's not my experience with Star Trek at all. <laughs> Star Trek like sold the idea that the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. Ah, <laughs> uh, come on. Well, I will give you this though. It's not as good as Star Wars. We'll dive into that at some point. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know what I forgot to do? It is our tradition that we talk about what we're drinking. Oh, God, how did we forget that? We've, we've managed to get through every episode so far without forgetting to do that. I too. know, we're getting a bit rusty. Um, I'm just going to pause for a second. And we're back. All right, hopefully we fixed our technical issues. So, drinks. This evening, I am drinking this Maxwell Honey Mead it is winter and as I said I've had the flu and having a nice hot glass of mead is delicious uh, what are you drinking Lachlan? so you felt the need for mead the oh, need for mead <laughs> I'm on the uh, Sailor Jerry's and, uh, and ginger beer tonight so uh, went with the uh, deluxe size glass to save me going back down for a, uh, a refill <laughs> <laughs> nice. How about, how about you, Rubes? What are you knocking back there? Oh, just beer. I got a furphy. Ooh, furphy. Nice, nice. They're always good. Yeah. All right. Well, um, you know, we could de- sit here and debate about whose uh, drink is superior and uh, <laughs> whose is not, but uh, there's no point in doing that. <laughs> well, all right, let's move on. You are more than just your drink. I am more than just my drink. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, I am like my drink in that I am warm and sweet. Oh, God. Goodness. <laughs> it's somewhat strong. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. And perhaps an acquired taste. <laughs> I'll pay that. I'll pay that. <laughs> And most people don't like it. <laughs> wow. Wow. Friends. Friends like these. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, 45. <laughs> if a man washed quickly, do not say that he washes badly, but that he washes quickly. If a man drink much wine, do not say that he drinks badly, but that he drinks much. For till you have decided what judgment prompts him, how do you know that he acts badly? If you do as I say, you will assent to your apprehensive impressions and to none other. Yeah, interesting. So, uh, I drink much. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think he's um, just saying here, uh, don't be too quick to judge unless you've got all the facts in, I guess? Yeah, more or less. So you can't really, if you're going to make a, like a qualitative judgment, 
then you need to know what their motive was. So he's mm. kind of, I think he's almost on top of what you're saying is pretty much saying, you know, it's, be careful if you're going to judge someone's motives because you, you don't really know. Until you do know, perhaps you can't make a, a, a firm judgment on it. But mm. I do think it's interesting because he, he's almost drawing a sharp distinction between um, like a, a quantitative description and a qualitative one. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so so I, mean, I don't know enough about the times, whether that was the kind of distinction that was, uh, was, was drawn. Mm. I think it's good though. Um, <coughs> you know the the reason you know, maybe you're washing quickly because you're running late um, well, it's like do something you, really you, important you, you see someone ripping it at the pub and you know you might think you know what a what a piss it but <laughs> you don't know the circumstances and uh, maybe it's just they've had a really bad day and they're just having a few extras tonight because they've, they've you know had a big one as a one-off doesn't mean they're in there sinking them every day and um ripping in yeah well, maybe it's pain relief maybe you know? they are <laughs> maybe they're a raging alcoholic and they are in there every day absolutely hammering it down but but if you don't know that information who are you to judge i guess that's right you don't know whether he's trying to silence the voices in his head or something yeah <laughs> that's <it>. true <laughs> All right, well, no. uh, let's continue because that one's pretty straightforward. Yep. 46. On no occasion call yourself a philosopher, nor talk at large of your principles among the multitude, but act on your principles. For instance, at a banquet, do not say how one ought to eat, but eat as you ought. Remember that Socrates had so completely got rid of the thought of display that when men came and wanted an introduction to philosophers, he took them to be introduced. So patient of neglect was he. And if a discussion arise among the multitude on some principle, kept silent for the most part. Uh, keep silent for the most part, for you are in great danger of blurting out some undigested thought. And when someone says to you, you know nothing, and you do not let it provoke you, then know that you are really on the right road. For sheep do not bring grass to their shepherds and show them how much they have eaten, but they digest their fodder and then produce it in the form of wool and milk. Do the same yourself. Instead of displaying your principles to the multitude, show them the results of the principles you have digested. It's really good. I like that one. Yeah, what you're going to convince more people with your behaviour than by with your uh, with your speeches, basically. Hmm. But it, it's well, that, and then I think it's also that whole thing about just putting on facade. You know, um, you know, why be like one of those? And I think this was like re referencing some of that time when uh, people would go to the, want to call themselves a philosopher because it was a cool thing to do, right? And uh, yeah, it's, it's a quiz there's a whole Just, industry for people that call themselves philosopher and taught things. That's it. So I like how know. he um, mentions that Socrates would just like imagine that. Like you, you go, I want to meet, I want to meet a philosopher. Someone takes you to Socrates. Hey, I'm here to meet a philosopher. You're like, I'll take you to a guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. And, and he wouldn't get offended, is what they were saying. Yeah, you know, like yeah. he'd be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll introduce you to some. I can't remember. Uh, he was so patient of neglect was he. Yeah. So, um, I thought he was going to talk about um, at the banquet to to be like Socrates and just smooch food off everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I thought that was going. I um I, I had to have a chuckle when he's talking about the sheep though. He's like, yeah, they they eat, and then something comes out. Because right then I'm like, well, I mean, yeah. Sheep shit too, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, where are you going with this? <laughs> well, yeah. he goes to wool and uh, milk. 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 So mm. he kept it clean. I thought I thought it was a pretty good uh, metaphor. You know, they the sheep no, don't throw the grass to show the shepherd how much they've eaten. They digest it and produce the milk and the wool so that they can show off. You know, they they good diet of grass and whatever so, it may well be. Does this mean that sheep are philosophers too, in the same way that dogs are? 
<laughs> That's right. Yeah. Whole animal kingdoms in on the act. Yeah. <laughs> and you act on what is on what they know. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And I think he's um he's pretty wise too. Is that if there's some discussion in a multitude, just keep your mouth shut. Yeah. I mean, look at some. Uh, I, I think he's sort of taken that too from from Plato because he had that reputation of like really mulling over the perfect words and phrasing to use to explain something because he didn't want to be misunderstood. He wanted yeah. the meaning of what he wanted to say to be exactly what he wanted it to be. Um, so I think it really speaks to that sort of point of making sure that you, you're clear on what you want to say rather than just kind of, you know, going in half cocked without the idea fully formed. Yeah, don't stress him off. Yeah. Yeah, through yeah, yeah. I think uh, the three of us throw in plenty of half cocked ideas, though. So um, <laughs> that's what we do. We, we, also we also don't call ourselves philosophers. Oh, that's true. That's that right. True. I refer to myself as the sophist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. Um, let's continue. Uh, 47. Uh, when you have adopted the simple life, do not pride yourself upon it. And if you are a water drinker, do not say on every occasion, I am a water drinker. And if you ever want to train laboriously, keep it to yourself and do not make a show of it. Do not embrace statues. If you are very thirsty, take a good draught of cold water and rinse your mouth and tell no one. <laughs> I'm a bit confused about this one. I think they're saying like, if you need to do something, do it for the, the need that you have or the want that you have, not for the adulation or attention of whatever it is. I think the um, modern translation says, um, uh, if you are a vegan, do not say on every occasion, I'm a vegan. <laughs> How to be like a vegan, man. Vegan, man. <laughs> <laughs> If you are a vegan, eat your chickpeas, but do not tell people why you eat your chickpeas. Just produce your uh, wool and milk and uh, <laughs> go about your business. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought it was 100%. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, uh, you know, no one likes to hear some blowhard talking about how hard they've been working and laboring and, you know, all this sort of thing. It's just. That's cool, bro. You, <laughs> you do you. Yeah, that's it. Go do it. That's been like, you know, it'd be, it'd be like somebody walking through the office, right? After just been to the gym at lunchtime, purposely walking through in their sweaty gym gear. So everyone in the office, like, oh, you're working out. Oh, man, I was benching hard that sesh. Oh, man. <laughs> Isn't it that, that thing like if it's on Instagram, it didn't happen? <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, what do you make of do not embrace statues? Oh, I don't know what they mean by that. Do you think he's like, because it's related to bodybuilding, do you think it's like a bad translate? Like he's saying, do not embrace like posing? Like, because he just talks about like bodybuilding. Like he's saying, if you want to train laboriously, keep it to yourself and don't make a show of it. Just gonna look up the other translation quickly and see if uh, there was anything else that sort of came out of that. <laughs> it was it's a different one in the uh, in the modern version there. If you want to acquire stamina and endurance, do your exercises in private and don't make a boring fetish of your ability to finish a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> boring fetish. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's very good. I like that. Yeah. And even one of the older ones. So yeah. It just seems our translations sort of uses that phrase about statues. Um, the old versions prior to our version um, say something like, um, if at any time you would inure yourself by exercise to labor and privation for your own sake and not for the public, do not attempt great feats. But when you are violently thirsty, just rinse your mouth out, yada, yada, yada. Oh, yeah. So great attempt great feats so it's yeah, yeah. so it's don't show off basically basically yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 
Don't be a wanker is the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Coridian, 47. Don't be a wanker. It's straight in addition. <laughs> that's, a, that's a new T-shirt right there. Don't be a wanker, Epictetus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we're on to it. Five hundred AD. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, dear. All right, forty-eight. Let's keep going. The ignorant man's position and character is this: he never looks to himself for benefit or harm, but to the world outside him. The philosopher's position and character is that he always looks to himself for benefit and harm. The signs of one who is making progress are. He blames none, praises none, complains of none, accuses none, never speaks of himself as if he were somebody or as if he knew anything. And if anyone compliments him, he laughs in himself at his compliment. And if one blames him, he makes no defence. He goes about like a convalescent, careful not to disturb his constitution on its road to recovery until it has got firm hold. He has got rid of the will to get, and his will to avoid is directed no longer to what is beyond our power, but only to what is in our power and contrary to nature. In all things he exercises his will without strain. If men regard him as foolish or ignorant, he pays no heed. In one word, he keeps watch and guard on himself as his own enemy lying in wait for him. Hmm. There's a lot like we're going uh, back to the Republic with this one. <clears throat> oh, yeah? How so? Uh, look, I, I can remember um, some of the passages there saying that, you know, a, a man must like sort of guard himself against himself, um, against the lesser side of himself, I suppose. Um, well, that being part of it anyway. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, I read this one as almost like I feel like this should be the last paragraph of the book. Mm. In the sense mm. that he's almost summing up everything he said, um, in in a not not in an explanatory way, but in like a um, here's things to look out for. Check yourself, you know. Are you blaming yeah. others? Are you, you know, do you how do you react when someone gives you praise? You know, are you, um, are you accusing other people? That sort of stuff. So yeah, it's good. It's good advice. I particularly like the just the first paragraph there, you know, that, you know, an ignorant man will look to blame everyone other than himself. Yeah. Um, you know, when quite often it's actually themselves who's at the centre of their problems. Um, and, yeah, you know, um, my, um, my mother growing up, that's, that's one of the things I remember her saying. She goes, there's two types of people in the world. And I thought she was going to say men and women or something mundane, but she's like, no, no there's two types of people. People that blame themselves and people that blame others. Hmm. Um, I've always, yeah, I've always remembered that, and I've, I've found that to be true over and over again. Not that uh, yeah. I necessarily learnt from it, but uh, you know, <laughs> I certainly noticed it. <laughs> the one thing I, I did think was kind of interesting um, is you had you mentioned there um, the signs of one who's making progress. Uh, he blames none, praises none, complains of none. I was like, praises none. I, I mean, I know he's sort of saying like praise, you know, you can kind of like chuckle to yourself if someone's praising you for something. But uh, I was just thinking like, what's what's wrong with praising someone if they've done something well and just acknowledging, um, you know, the, the work they may have done? I, I suppose it's not relevant for a philosopher to be praised um, because maybe they're, they're so self-aware are you thinking they don't need- like, for example, if your kid does something good, giving them praise? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd like to do a case study on um, how crap parents were who were Stoics, because like Marcus Aurelius was not his his kid was no good, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. and it, it's pretty common for great men to have crapped kids, and mm. and you know I wonder if this is part of the problem. Um, yeah. that you take it a bridge too far maybe with with the the stoic philosophies here you know if, if you if you don't ever give your child uh any praise um you know they're, they're, they're going to feel invisible 
or like they don't matter yep. to you, you know? Absolutely. I can only assume, and just to put it, put it in the best positive, take it at its highest, so to speak, you could see that praise none more as a, uh, like a term for worship, you know, don't, uh, yeah. don't measure yourself with other people and try to live up to other people do, you know, that might yeah. be where he's coming from. That would be kind of in line with, uh, the rest of his sort of body of thought. I, I think actually you're probably right. Like particularly where you're looking at someone with social status above you. Yeah. And treating and them with. That, yeah. There was that whole uh, one earlier on where he's talking about mm. if you don't get invited to a dinner party or something, or if you're yeah. invited to a dinner party and you get a shit seat at the table or somebody asks for advice above you, things like that. I'm guessing it's more along those lines, but we're only, I mean, just layman here, so. I think you're right, Rubes. <clears throat> I think um, sometimes you've got to remember not to take this stuff super literally. Yeah. 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 I'm guilty of that. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are, there are, but there have been points in this book where, where things like that are said or, or things related to kids and all that sort of stuff mm. where, where they're very... It's very blunt. Yeah, that, that stuff blunt, about like, losing your wife and child and that. Yeah, very yeah. different. Very different to that. Yeah. And um Yeah, I I think that uh that that doesn't add up entirely. Mm. I, I think these are useful strategies for dealing with problems and for maintaining some self control. But um like like most things, I think if you take it to 11 out of 10 um, yep. they can do some damage as well no, for yeah sure. I think you probably are mm. yeah it was another sort of funny one in there that's saying um, you know if uh, if someone blames you for something make no defence and I was like oh yeah that's tough yeah yeah why would you just take it I mean you, you might sort of say oh, this person who's accusing me is ignorant so why would I lower myself to bother explaining it to them but then don't you seem a bit egotistical that you don't feel they're worthy of an explanation that you're above them? And True. I'm guessing once again, to paint it you know, at its highest, what he's kind of saying is um, that if you're worried about whether someone thinks you're at fault, then you're placing your uh, happiness, so to speak, within something that you can't control. If someone wants to blame you for something, mm. you know, you can't. You can't have your happiness based on that, but um, but yeah, you're right. That's I mean, what if you legitimately haven't done anything wrong? What if you're falsely accused? Surely at, at that point you're gonna you're gonna make some kind of explanation. But once again, we might be reading it too literally or reading too much into it. Really, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Um, does Jesus defend himself against Pilate, or does he stay quiet? Um, not defend himself. But I'm not going to bow into that without having read it, reading it, reading it again. Yeah. But, um, I think I think he does say something. He doesn't like he doesn't say silent the entire time. No. But, but there are points where like he just won't speak. And I think yeah. I I suspect that that's because he he knows it won't matter. Yeah. Because when he does say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, or whatever it is, uh, or whatever that phrase was at the time, Pilate turns around and says, well, what is truth? Mm. So he basically goes, <laughs> yeah, he goes full sophist, relativist, or whatever. Mm. So you're right. Um, what, what point is there uh, making a uh, an excuse to a man like that whose his only thing there is to, you know, make his way and, and maintain his power and... Uh, you know, keep the peace so that, you know, he gets paid kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's not going to care about the truth. Keeping the mob happy. Keeping the mob happy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's keep going. We're on a roll. Uh, 49. When a man prides himself on being able to understand and interpret the books of Chrysippus, say to yourself, if Chrysippus had not written obscurely this man would have had nothing on which to pride himself 
What is my object? To understand nature and follow her. I look then for someone who interprets her, and having heard that Chrysippus does, I come to him, but I do not understand his writings, so I seek an interpreter. So far there is nothing to be proud of, but when I have found the interpreter, it remains for me to act on his precepts. That and that alone is a thing to be proud of, but if I admire the mere power of exposition, it comes to this, that I am turned into a grammarian instead of a philosopher, except that I interpret Chrysippus in place of Homer. Therefore, when someone says to me, read me Chrysippus, when I cannot point to actions which are in harmony and correspondence with his teaching, I am rather inclined to blush. Now, I, I don't know who this Chrysippus is. Did you research I, uh, this at all, Lachlan? Uh, of course I did. Thank you. All right, go, go. <laughs> Um, so he was, he was a Stoic philosopher um, and was highly regarded, um, but none of his complete works have survived into the modern age. So we don't actually know what it looks like. Despite that, um, they're apparently a prolific writer um, and he was, you know, he was a student at the Stoic school and then became the head of the Stoic school in Athens. Um, so he was actually considered to be the second founder of Stoicism because he did so much work in that space. Okay. But um, he was heavily criticised for his writing style as um, he wrote in a very comprehensive way in that he would include all opposing arguments so that people couldn't argue his points, I suppose. Um, and so he'd do all of that before he could put forward his conclusions and it was kind of cumbersome and hard to follow um, rather than being kind of concise, which is why... Someone might take pride in the fact they understood it because it was so convoluted and long-winded. <laughs> you, you might have lost the point by the time you sort of got to it, I suppose. So it, it sounds a bit like Jordan Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, that's, that's, well, that's a lot of the feedback about the way he does things is that it's a bit of a... just go down rabbit's warrens when he... Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Thomas apparently Thomas Aquinas wrote that way too. He would have a question, and then he would go through all of the counter arguments he could think of, and then you know come to his conclusion later on. Apparently, have you, you read any, any Thomas, Thomas Aquinas, Ruben? What's that? Have you read any Thomas Aquinas? No, I haven't. I mean, I've read sort of ancillary to him and things about him, but I've mm. never actually sat down and read the Summa Theologica or anything like that. That bishop, that bishop Baron guy that I like, he's read a lot of Thomas Aquinas, and yeah. some oh, yeah, of his yeah. commentaries are in that um, new Bible that I got. So I've read a couple of those, but not many. Yeah. So yeah, he's someone I'm keen to get into at some I point. Think he more or less became the official philosopher of the Catholic Church at some point. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> sure about that but i think that's sort of roughly how it played out yeah, interesting yeah i need to suss him out some more um what do you think about the comment here about what is my object to understand nature and follow her I, well i think uh it's they're just trying to talk about the the teachings rather than i think if you it's saying like are you working so hard and just trying to understand it or are you actually putting the teachings into into practice i think yeah. instead of saying what's, what's the point of the learning to start with yeah yeah so you know better to take well maybe not pride but better to take application and action on the teachings rather than you know being a um an expert on grammar who just simply mm. understands the text yeah it's it's kind of like it gives you it's almost paints an image of like this academic who has read all these things and knows all these things and understands all these things and can quote and explain what this person means and what that person means, but ultimately can't actually give you any answers. Hmm. It's like, well, what's the point of all that learning if you can't understand nature and follow it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's more of a, you can recite many things, but you don't practice the art of philosophy. Yeah. 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 That's pretty, that's pretty much what he's saying. I think anyway. Well, I think that's that's almost exactly what that sort of final part of the text is about. You know, um, read me Chrysippus, but 
uh, when I cannot point to the actions which are in harmony in correspondence with his teaching, I'm rather inclined to blush because it's basically saying that he's embarrassed because he can only sort of speak of them, but he hasn't put any of them into action, I think is the, the idea. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, and that comes back to the banquet thing about, well, not the banquet, but the um, don't don't talk about your philosophy, just do it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, 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 similar sort of idea. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Oh, I'm getting excited. Hmm. All right. We're getting close. All right, 50. Let's go. Um, whatever principles you put before you, hold fast to them as laws, which it will be impious to transgress. But pay no heed to what anyone says of you, for this is something beyond your own control. This is kind of repeating when we did, I think, was it last week? It was like number 38, which was, you know, you've, you've worked hard to build your principles, so don't let something external sort of sway you from them. Um, yeah, it's pretty there's good. Whole, yeah. There's a whole of that control again too, you know, what someone else's opinion is. Um, it's not really relevant to you. It's outside your control, so don't worry about it. Um, yeah, I think this, what you're saying a couple of, chapters ago Ruben about this could be the last one of the book it feels like what this one is like it's that's a, a very tidy little summary mm. yeah so. yeah yeah well let's just keep going 51 we're almost there <laughs> all right here we go how long will you wait to think yourself worthy of the highest and transgress in nothing the clear pronouncement of reason you have received the precepts which you ought to accept, and you have accepted them. Why then do you still wait for a master, that you may delay the amendment of yourself till he comes? You are a youth no longer, you are now a full-grown man. If now you are careless and indolent, and are always putting off, fixing one day after another as the limit when you mean to begin attending to yourself, then living or dying, you will make no progress, but will continue unawares in ignorance. Therefore, make up your mind before it is too late to live as one who is mature and proficient, and let all that seems best to you be a law that you cannot transgress. And if you encounter anything troublesome or pleasant or glorious or inglorious, remember that the hour of struggle is come. The Olympic contest is here, and you may put off no longer and that one day and one action determines whether the progress you have achieved is lost or maintained. This was how Socrates attained perfection, paying heed to nothing but reason in all that he encountered. And if you are not yet Socrates, yet ought you to live as one who would wish to be a Socrates. Hmm. Interesting. <clears throat> it's the old Nike slogan. It is. <laughs> He's saying, just do it. Just do it, bro. He's going all Shia LaBeouf on you. (laughs) (laughs) That's good message. I mean, heaps of people are guilty of procrastination. Um, We all all do it at different times. Um, So, you know, it could be about going to the gym. could be about, you know, your morals or whatever it is. But, you know, if there's something you want to do, what are you waiting for? I I like the... Uh, part where it says that the um, hour of struggle is come, the Olympic contest is here. Mm. Like you've been training for the event and now it's fight night and you can't escape that it's fight night. So you've got to get in and and practice, you know, use what you've been learning um, and put it to use because now's the, now's the time. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's really good. Mm. yeah i think like you could sum it all up pretty pretty snappily but i like the examples i use but it's like how long are you going to wait to be your best and live a life of reason is what they're sort of saying you know don't procrastinate while you wait for somebody else to teach you how to do it um if you're a person who's received the lessons and you understand what needs to be done then you've got to take control of your life and um live live according to those you know um morals or principles you've you've obtained um yeah we we live when we die so make your mind up and get cracking you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do a shout out to a mate of mine i know he listens to the 
podcast, but um, a guy named Russell, who um, is a national manager these days, and um, when I was I thought you were talking about Russell Crowe, the other guy who no, listens to our show. No, um, <laughs> it'd be funny if you did. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I recall I was I was early days into my career of choice at the time, and um, I was telling him that I was frustrated that. I was looking for someone to mentor me because I didn't feel like I was at the standard I needed to be at. And uh, he told me, stop looking for that guy and be that guy. All right. That's and pretty much like, what this is saying. Hey? Yeah, it's exactly what this is saying. So, um, <laughs> Russell, you were right. <laughs> be that guy. <laughs> is his middle name Socrates? No, it might as well be, though. It's very wisdom. <laughs> much wisdom, much wow. Mm. He's a handsome man too. <laughs> there you go. All right. No, um, good. good advice. Good advice. It, it is good advice. Rumor say 52. Right, here we go. The first and most necessary department of philosophy deals with the application of principles. For instance, not to lie. The second deals with demonstrations. For instance, how comes it that one ought not to lie? The third is concerned with establishing and analyzing these processes. For instance, how comes it that this is a demonstration? What is demonstration? What is consequence? What is contradiction? What is true? What is false? It follows then that the third department is necessary because of the second, and the second because of the first. The first is the most necessary part, and that in which we must rest. But we reverse the order. We occupy ourselves with the third, and make that our whole concern, and the first we completely neglect. Wherefore we lie, but are ready enough with the demonstration that lying is wrong. Hmm. Oh, I think there's, I actually think there might be like a whole episode in this one. So I'm just going to lay down my immediate thoughts. Well, um, <laughs> which might be totally wrong, but I think what it, what he's saying there is he's basically giving you the three different schools of um, philosophy, broadly speaking. He's basically saying you've got ethics, you've got ontology and you've got uh, epistemology. Um, so ethics is obviously what, you know, right and wrong. Um, ontology is what is a thing? What is it? What's the, the nature of it? And then thirdly is epistemology, which is how can you know things? What constitute knowledge? And what he's saying is basically you've got to start with ethics. You got to start essentially with the presupposition that you have to tell the truth. Um, and just to try to keep it quick, I honestly, I, I, I think if my understanding of that is correct, He's basically saying the opposite of what modern philosophy went on to do. Modern philosophy went on, like, as in the last hundred years, went on to be all about epistemology, which is the last one. What he's saying is is the last of it, which is just like, you know, what constitute knowledge and, you know, and, um, you know, how can you know things and all that sort of stuff. Um, and if he's right, then essentially what he's saying is that philosophy for the last one to 200 years has been asked about. Interesting. Um, yeah, I don't quite understand um, what he's saying about if you reverse the order, you're going to neglect um, the first thing, which is ethics. But I actually do think that roughly tracks with what has happened in the history of thought over the last couple hundred years, in the sense that they do talk a lot about epistemology and the idea of ethics is almost largely largely been thrown out, not thrown out the window, but largely ignored. And you can see that with um, sort of a lot of modern philosophy, which basically says there is no right and wrong. And you can mm -hmm. see that with people like Nietzsche, who came to the conclusion that it's all about power, if I'm understanding that correctly. I'm just, I'm ballparking it here, guys. But um, but that that was my read on that. I thought that, I thought this bit was really interesting. And I, I suspect mm -hmm. there's a lot going on there that is probably... Uh, a little bit beyond the layman that we are. Yeah, I think you might be onto something there, though. Um, 
it, I think it does sort of show that we, we spend a lot of time agonizing over the detail rather than the, um, you know, and all of those whys and all that sort of stuff, rather than sort of focusing on that, on that core issue. Um, and I wonder if we do do it looking for justification for breaking it. Um, or if it's just that we've just lost focus in what we're Was that your reading of that last sentence where he kind of says, because basically, otherwise you end up with all these reasons why you should lie or why it's okay to lie rather than just Mm. not lying. Yeah. I wasn't quite sure what he was doing with that last sentence, to be honest. We're fully lying, but we're ready enough with the demonstration that lies wrong. Yeah. Well, he's saying that we we will happily lie, but we'll also acknowledge that it's wrong to lie. We're not convicted that lying is wrong. We're just saying that lying is wrong. I think you're right, Ruben. Like, um, well, here's a really simple way to put it. It's like if you say to someone, oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do X. And then their response is, well, what is X? And what do you mean by shouldn't? And what do you mean by shouldn't do? What do you mean by shouldn't? What do you mean by do? What do you mean by X? You know what I mean? Some of they just start deconstructing it and go, how can you know this? How can you know that? When ultimately the starting point is basically just don't do it. Like it's wrong. You know, it's wrong. That's ethics. I don't know if that's a good way to put it. I think, yeah, I, I think it's demonstrated through like, um, when we, well, let me talk about this. So like sometimes Peterson has debated a guy called Sam Harris, um, who's pretty hardcore atheist. Um, and Peterson's called out that he doesn't believe what he teaches because if if everything's meaningless and everything's just a result of materialism and there is no actual morality or ethics, then why do you care about what's actually moral? Why do you get out of bed? Why do you not steal? Why do you not kill? If none of those things actually have any weight through those ethics. And so I think Ruben, particularly in the West, where we're becoming more secular and, you know, like in the last census for our country, it was like 43% of Australians said that they have no religion, which is the highest it's ever been. Um, so where, what, what grounds your principles of morality? You know, what, why, why should you not lie if, if you're an atheist? And you think that everything just happened by chance and that we are just stardust that's formed and got consciousness somehow and that everything's just random, then morality is just an illusion. Is that what you're getting at? Well, I, I think what, if I'm right in my reading, what he's getting at is the only way you can come to that conclusion is if you, the way you think about things are totally ass about. Because his starting point is don't lie. It's like your starting point is ethics, right and wrong. We know right and wrong. And then he builds everything off that. Whereas if you, you, the only way you can not really know that is to invert it. But I'm not really sure. I'm just thinking that maybe <clears throat> he's, he's packaging this for, for the philosopher and that you have established principles and they're your principles, right? And they may align with your you know, um, cultures, principles, or maybe they don't, maybe they're your principles. I don't know, but I think they're just sort of saying that you need to just, um, not get sort of too wrought and, and carrying on with sort of questioning all that. Why if you've got to keep bringing it back to the fact that these are your principles and they're still your core, um, you know, reason for doing what you do, I suppose. Um, and that's fine to go and explore all that why business, but you just got to make sure you don't neglect your main principles and throw them away through the exploration of that why sort of space. Oh uh, um, yeah. All right. Cause if that's like some hard fought principles that you've landed on, you shouldn't just toss them away with all this like exponential thought in the why sort of space. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's um, that's yeah. good. Actually, that's a practical. Uh, that's a really practical way to look at it, which is probably in line with 
largely what's contained throughout the book, just like real practical um, uh, like guidance. Well, I think you're right. Maybe like, yeah, just don't, don't get caught up in the semantics, stick to your principles, mm. maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm happy with that. I think that's a good explanation. And the last one is a poem. Well, oh, here we go. 53. Well, I'll <coughs> just quickly point out too that uh, whilst it is a, a poem, um, for some reason, our version has dropped off um, some of the text. Oh. Ripped off. Well, I'll read our version and then you can read the other version. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so 53. On every occasion, we must have these thoughts at hand. Lead me, O Zeus, and lead me, destiny. Whither ordained is by your decree. I'll follow, doubting not, or if with will, recreant I falter, I shall follow still. Who rightly with necessity complies in things divine, we count him skilled and wise. That's all I got. <laughs> so what's your version yep. say, Lachlan? Uh, so, oh yeah, skilled and wise. Um... So it basically rolls on with a couple of other um, sort of quotes from some other some other writings, funnily oh. enough. So it's, it still does that same sort of start. So on every occasion, we must have these thoughts at hand and lead me, O Zeus, and all that sort of thing. And it says that, um, hang on, let me grab, I think the older version... Uh, kind of tells you where that's come from. So, so that part about um, uh, I shall follow still and all that sort of thing has come from um, Clenthus in Diogenes. Oh God, I can't even pronounce this. <laughs> Diogenes Laterius, quoted also by Seneca. Um, oh, I like me some Seneca. Epistle one hundred and seven. So anyway, that's where that comes from. And then there's another one that follows after underneath. Um, who rightly with necessity complies in things divine. Oh, sorry, that's, we count him skilled and wise. So uh, that actually comes from Euripides, um, fragment 965, right? I'm going to say Euripides. Euripides, sorry. Euripides. You wrong. Euripides. And then there's saying that you've just torn his pants. Euripides. <laughs> <laughs> So Zerwin, uh, well, Crito, if this be the God's will, so be it. So that was Plato in uh, the writing of Crito, 43D. And then the final one, which is Rubes, I sort of mentioned this one to you briefly before. Um, Anatus and Miletus have power to put me to death, but not to harm me. From Plato's Apology, 30C. Mm. So it's funny. Um, so this all just seemed to be some collection of, um, I don't know, I suppose, um, excerpts that Epictetus must have liked and been quoting in his classes for the fact that they've been sort of selected to be included in this, uh, this book, because these are not his words from, um, from what it would appear. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. But, um, so that they're just obviously things that, uh, yeah, that he, that he thought were, uh, were interesting, but, uh, the, the first three sort of speak to like the, the divine fate of a man. So, you know, accepting your lot, um, you know, knowing that this is the way it should be, um, that something external can't be changed. Um, but I think, you know, that they're, they're again, sort of talking about the the fates as maybe decreed by God and, you know, you've got to do your best within that lot, I suppose. Yeah. That's what that um, little line at the end of our version is like who rightly with necessity yeah. complies in things divine. We count him skilled and wise. Hmm. I can see why Epictetus might like that little line. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, the next one was that, uh, well, Crito, if this be the God's will, so be it. So that's just kind of rolling into that same, same sort of intention. Mm. And then the last one, which was from that uh, Plato's Apology, um, you know, uh, Anatus and Amilitus have power to put me to death, but not to harm me. Um, yeah, again, we mentioned that was from 
uh, player's apology. So that that's oh, no. was mm. something topical we'd all been kind of chatting about. But um, but those were the two individuals who were uh, Socrates' accusers. So uh, yeah, they're okay. the ones who yeah accused him of corrupting the young people of the city and impiety against the Pantheon of Athens. Um, yeah, there's a so, line in there which is there's a line in the apology around that point too, which is very similar to um, some of the stuff in here where he says something to the effect of, um, uh, yeah, you can't basically, you, evil can't hurt a good man. If you're a good man, then nothing can hurt you kind of thing, which is mm. almost sort of similar. Remember there was that one we got hung up on in this where, where he basically said uh, there is, there's no such thing as evil kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That sort of, that sort of mindset. Um, but yeah. Oh, so that's interesting. I'm, I'm a little, feel a bit ripped off because I uh, didn't. I would have liked to have seen that quote in my version. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Not not quite sure why it sort of dropped off. It is on our translation. It's just not on the Kindle for some reason. So uh, yeah, not right. sure why. But yeah, no. I just think that that's interesting. Obviously, because uh, you know, whilst they can uh, you know kill Socrates, he, um, he he doesn't choose to yield his integrity to. Uh, backpedal on um on what he's done so he chooses death over backpedaling so um <laughs> stick to your uh, stick to your your principles right yeah yeah that's right choose principles over death so they yeah, can't damage his it actually makes a lot of sense to, it makes a lot of sense to end this book on that particular quote mm. yeah. yeah for sure well, that was good, guys. We, we've done another book. <laughs> Two down a screen to go. <laughs> well, um, let's journey on down uh, to our favourite place, the Pub Philosophers. And uh, I have a question. Oh, yeah. Play it on us. I've come across this saying... And I first heard it maybe 18 months ago, and then it keeps getting said to me in different scenarios. And uh, I wanted to just put it on the table and see what you guys, if, if you think it's true. So the saying is, no good deed goes unpunished. Mm. Um, I, I feel like it's a bit cynical. <laughs> but uh, often... It feels like there's some truth in it. So, um, have, have you guys heard of that saying before? And and does something come to mind straight away when you hear that saying? I've um, I've certainly heard of it before, um, but it's not one I've felt much um, attachment to, or I haven't haven't felt it to to sort of be true, so to speak. So, okay. What about you, Rubes? Uh, I don't know. Um, no, I can't think of any specific examples, but I feel like uh, the Republic was basically about that. <laughs> that was one of the major themes of the Republic, like when they were trying to figure out what justice was, and if you do the sure. right thing, you, it comes out bad for you. Do you still? What's the point of doing the right thing? Kind of thing. That's mm. it's almost pointing towards. That. I wonder where that that saying is originally from. Mm. I'm not sure. I know it is in the latest Spider-Man movie. Right. Um, obviously, and spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the new Spider-Man movie, um, fast forward a minute, but uh, in the new Spider-Man movie, um, Peter Parker accidentally brings all these villains from different parallel dimensions into our universe and um, decides to try and help them all. Mm. And uh, the Green Goblin, um, when it doesn't work out well for Peter... Um, says to him no good deed goes unpunished and uh the result of peter doing his good deeds is that his auntie gets killed so um it's a, it's a well, sort of, but but also he was not really his good deeds right that was well in the original spider-man it was because it was uh he'd gone off to seek vengeance rather than seeking like Oh, in the Tobey Maguire one, yes. But in this one, yeah. because yeah. he tried to be kind rather than just sending them back to their death, but actually tried to help them, 
Yeah, true, true, results true. he's only doing. <laughs> yeah. Are, are you trying to find the origins of this thing, Ruben? I, I just found it um, very quickly. No. Oh, look at you go. Yeah, you go. Well, ironically, it's linking back to Thomas Aquinas, funnily enough. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're just saying it was um it was first uh, in some um, Walter Maps twelfth century. I have no idea what this thing is. Uh, Denutius Curulium. I guess is it a play Curulium. or something? Yeah, S- surviving work of twelfth century Latin author. Um, yeah, this doesn't really matter. Uh, in which there was a character who uh, adhered to inverted morality. Um, Left no good deed unpunished and no bad one unrewarded. Oh, okay. So uh, it seemed to have been uh, just as part of a, a play or a writing or something there. It must have just found its way into uh, popular culture. But Thomas Aquinas has got some comment in there. So, for his punishment is to the evil act, so is reward to a good act. Now, no evil deed is unpunished by God, the just judge. Therefore, no good deed is unrewarded. And so every good deed merits some good. So, mm. disagreeing, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> Walter Matt. Yeah, it looks like it's some medieval. Yeah, it's. Writing or something, some kind of story. The, the mm. first time I heard it, I thought, wow, that's very cynical. But. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's definitely there's an element of truth there. <laughs> I think Rube's kind of nailed it, and that uh, the Republic definitely um, shone a spotlight on that on that potential. That's for sure. Um, I agree. You know, if you're an honest person, and uh, you know you wouldn't support someone, you know, making their way into the Senate or whatever it was through some dodgy deal, you, your standings would get pushed down the order of. You know, whatever else it was and yeah so i looked up examples of no good deed goes unpunished and um one one guy had a video on youtube that he found some person's wallet um and then was able to contact them and took it to them and when he handed it to them the person accused them of stealing the wallet (laughs) and he's like no good what? deed goes unpunished. <laughs> like seriously. <laughs> like, and uh, I was like, "Wow, there you go. There's an example." <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, unfortunately, the rule of the world is there are still a holes out there. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At, like another example I thought of was like, you know, you, you um, see a bird injured on the side of the road, you pull over. You take it home, you feed it, you look after it, and then you release it once it's healed off your balcony and it flies into the sky and an eagle just takes it. (laughs) You know, you'd just be like... (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway, I I was interested to see if... And and, and so, if that was a philosophy, what what would it come under? Oh, well, if you look at the origins from it, apparently it's an inverted morality. <laughs> so if you go around punishing people for doing the right thing, there you mm, go. wait, hold on. <laughs> yeah, hold on. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's what an unjust law is. If you're living in a country and for whatever reason they create some kind of legislation that's unjust and it actually, you know, punishes people for doing the right thing that's what that is it's you know that's an inverted morality isn't it yeah yep that's what it is you know what it actually reminds me of um number plates so if you if you find a number plate that's for an unregistered vehicle say um and you return it to the rms um it used to be i don't know if it still is the case but it used to be that you would have to pay to give them back their number plate. What? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That was, uh, That's bad law. 
So yeah, it was like a thirty dollar fee to return an expired number plate. But if it wasn't your mm. number plate and you found it, they'd still try to slug you the they'd fee. They'd still try and get you the fee when you handed it in. <laughs> like, but it's not mine. Let's <laughs> think another example is like you know, at that thing about you know somebody's um, having a heart attack or something, and you got to you know they need CPR and they're just some random stranger. And there was that talk a while back about people worried about getting sued for, mm. you know, and it's like, you know, you're trying to do the right thing, trying to help someone and that you might sort of wind up getting sued from being trying to be a good Samaritan, you know? Yeah. In Australia, there's a, a law actually called the good Samaritan law, um, which is as soon as someone passes out, you, you, they, they automatically give you consent to try and revive them. Mm. Um, but I don't think that law exists in America, which is why there's footage of people like dragging, like someone's had been hit by a car or something that, that people will actually just not touch them because they don't want to get sued for causing additional injuries or making the injury worse. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but in Australia, there's a good, well, as far as I know, it's still there, but it was the good Samaritan clause is there for first aiders. So you can't be sued for trying to perform first aid. Mm. good to know <laughs> yeah yeah well there you go i think i think it was a, a good uh pub philosophers topic sure and uh it was a good a good finish of the book i had my doubts when you guys said at the start that we would be able to get through the rest of the book i wasn't convinced but um we did so where to next do we do we want to do um socrates apology is that where we want to go next that's where I want to go next. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do that one too. All right. That's what we'll do. Good. Right. <laughs> as long as it's not as long as the Republic. Okay. Well, that'll be the... I don't know whether one. you want to do a do a half episode summing up of our thoughts on uh, the Encridian as well. We could probably do that one week. Yeah, I think we can do that between now and the next book. Yeah, that'll we'll be figure good. it out. But uh, yeah, well, for those of you who've been reading along and listening, thanks for joining us and we hope you've enjoyed it. We certainly have. And um, we'll be back with our thoughts on the next episode about the book in its entirety. And uh, remember, the Republic wasn't built in a day and not a middle-aged man. And uh, have a good week. See you later. See you guys.